In 2011, we made the first Revive Active supplement in Galway. Now, it's Ireland's number one dietary supplement used all over the world by people who want to get the most out of life. My favourite product in the entire range has to be Revive Active. It's the Rolls-Royce Super Supplement. It's a high quality product packed of powerful ingredients. It is Irish and us as an Irish brand in Mars Pharmacy, that's really important to us. Visit any Mars Pharmacy to find out more about Revive Active and find out why more people rely on Revive Active Super Supplements to get the most out of life. Visit reviveactive.com. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Joe Cohane, author of The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World, what the latest science says about starting conversations with people that you don't know. And I'll also be joined by a panel of people who changed career paths to work in health and wellness, from an architect to a neuromuscular therapist and a fitness coach, from advertising sales to pre- and postnatal fitness instructor and from full-time mum to nutritious food producer and triathlete. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? I'd have to say, lads, I'm worn out. I know I mentioned that I didn't book many summer camps last week, so I don't mean to be banging on about parenthood again. But I have found that now mine are a little bit older and don't go to bed at 7pm like they did when they were babies. It makes for a long day. My 10-year-old has now got a better social life than I have at the minute and there can be two neighbours' kids in our garden wrestling and kicking football until late. I'm almost wishing for the skies to go darker earlier. I need a few 9pm bedtimes during the week and that just isn't happening at the moment. But the good news is I am heading away camping. I am not going to lie to you, it's actually glamping. I just feel a bit of an Egypt saying any of those kind of conjoined, merged words like Benefer, but we are staying in a wooden hut thing with real beds, toilets and a shower. So I need to be up front and not hide behind the word camping. But hopefully I will return recharged. And speaking of, I travelled to County Clare and to Waterford this week in a fully electric car. I went to two eco destinations, Greggan's Castle Hotel in the Burren in Clare and Nyer Valley Eco Camping in Waterford. And I was reminded at both how we really do have the most beautiful country. And it felt good to clock up those miles with zero emissions. It was part of a report for the hard shoulder. So I'll be on with Kieran later in the week talking about it. But it was an area that I knew nothing about. And while we do have a way to go to reduce our emissions as a country, the facilities and the capabilities are improving. And I was able to make those big journeys pull into a lovely four courts because I do think our garages are really improving as well. That would have lots of facilities, have a coffee, something decent to eat while the car charged to up to 90% in half an hour. You do need a fast charge, which isn't at every location, but there are plenty around. And as I say, we're getting there. So a little travel for work was done this week with a feel good factor. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, on public transport and in many queues, we often stand in silence, especially now we're so spaced out. And often when people get to a shop counter, they just wait for the items to be scanned, hand over the money or card and say nothing of note, really, sometimes even staying talking on their phones. I've done that from time to time myself. 
And we're told from a young age about stranger danger. But in a new book, The Power of Strangers, Joe Cohane looks into the cutting edge research on the surprising social and psychological benefits that come from talking to strangers. And Joe is on the line now. Hello, Joe. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? So what made you want to tackle the topic of talking to strangers? Um, well, I was raised by two very garrulous people who uh, who talk to strangers all the time. So from the time I was a kid, I got to see the benefits of what happened when you kind of put yourself out there. My parents have made a lot of friends. They literally made friends in a restaurant last night, and they're going to go visit those people in a few weeks. So they're like phenomenally, freakishly socially adept. Um, and so I, you know, I followed their lead a little bit over the course of my life, but I realized over the last few years that I had sort of stopped talking to strangers. Um, and it just occurred to me, I never, I never chose to do it, but all of a sudden I had, by some kind of weird default, uh, eliminated that whole category of interaction from my day-to-day life. So I started thinking, you know, why don't I do this anymore? And then, um, and then I started thinking bigger about it. Like, why don't other people do it? Why, why are there social norms against it? Why do we struggle with these sorts of interactions? And then what, what are the benefits of having them when we do actually take the initiative? And we have evolved in recent years, especially with the emergence of the smartphone. I mean, everyone is looking down and even on public transport, for example, the majority stand in silence and only a few spark up conversation. And many people talk about headphones as being a bit of a saviour. And as your title suggests, we live in a suspicious world. Talk to us a little bit about why we feel that way. Yeah, you mentioned the phone, which is going to be a key part of this. You know, for me, as I looked at my own life and wondered why I had just kind of shut down in this regard, um, one of the things that had happened was the phone, right? So before we had phones, you had to interact with strangers much more than you do now. You had to interact with strangers to order a pizza. You had to ask someone for directions, all that stuff. Um, All those interactions were just taken care of by the phone, right? They're done very efficiently and they're done without any human contact. And I realized at a certain point, like I could pretty much go my whole life without ever interacting with a stranger, which as it turns out is quite a bad thing. You know, there's a price, there's a price for that sort of efficiency in life. Um, But the, you know, that, that definitely contributes to people's um, sort of reluctance to have these interactions. They're out of practice because they don't do it that much. If you go to a bar, you'll notice that there are a lot of people just staring at their phones. They're not talking to each other. This makes them feel like they don't have the skills to do it, that they're, they're, they haven't worked those muscles in a long time. They're afraid of failing. They're afraid of being rejected, all these things. Um, that kind of hardened a social norm that had already existed that was against talking to strangers, um, particularly in cities. Um, and you mentioned the tube. Um, you know, there are strong norms against talking to strangers on mass transit, but there's also been a fair amount of research done in recent years that shows that when study participants do actually take the initiative to go out to talk to people on like the subway, even on the tube in London, where like people are horrified at the prospect of just chatting with a random stranger on the tube in London, uh, it tends to go very well. Uh, they tend to be happier. They tend to enjoy their commutes more and people tend to be pretty receptive to it as well. Um, so there is a norm against doing this, but at the same token, like, we have to ask ourselves, is that norm helping us? Is following that norm helping us as societies and as individuals? Yes, it is a good question. And in the book, you speak to sociologists, psychologists, philosophers, political scientists, among others. And what do they say about how we communicate on social media, joining groups or meeting like-minded people via a hashtag? Do we get as much joy or a sense of community from say, an Instagram message and comments and our WhatsApp groups? 
Sure, it's a great question. It's an important question. Um, it depends on how you use it. So it's a bit of a complicated answer. <clears throat> Studies have found that if all of your interactions take place on digital technologies, on social media, um, you'll you'll be happier. You'll be less happy. You'll be more lonely. You'll your life will be less rich. It's bad to have that sort of interaction supplant all in-person interactions. If you do a mix of things, if you still have like enough in-person interaction and it's kind of supplemented with with digital technology, then that's okay. That can actually that can actually um, improve your life. It can make you happier. It can make you feel more connected. Um, the problem is when we have like what I would call low calorie interactions on the internet. Um, when you're not really engaging with curiosity, when you're not engaging with the whole person, you're just fighting with somebody or you're just mindlessly consuming stuff that you already agree with. Um, that doesn't carry the same benefits as having an actual conversation with a stranger in person. Uh, this growing body of research by psychologists has found that when we do have like even kind of passing interactions with strangers, they don't have to be super profound. They don't have to go on forever. Um, people who do that report feeling happier, feeling more connected to the places where they live, feeling like they belong, you know, and these are really important um, findings because you look at a lot of the problems facing societies right now in the West and, and frankly, all over the place. A lot of people are reporting being very lonely. They're feeling disconnected. They feel that they, they don't belong to the places where they live. They're estranged from other people. Um, we're starting to understand now that just having regular interactions with strangers in person can alleviate a lot of those feelings. So what are the benefits of talking to strangers? You mentioned a reduction in feeling lonely. What other health benefits are there? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, feeling like you belong is a really important thing. There's been a great deal of research over many years that find that we seem to have an innate need to belong, that this is, we need this like we need food and water. It's a really important thing for social species like humans to feel like they belong. And when people feel like they don't belong, then you have all sorts of kind of mental issues that can be um, the result of that. And also you have like society, societal issues that, that could be the result of that too. I think in America right now, we're, we're cracking up and a lot of that has to do with a crisis of belonging. So that's a really big part of it. Feeling like you belong to the place you live and you belong to the world you live in is really beneficial. It's really important and it's kind of imperative, right? It's not optional. You need to, you need to feel that way or else you're going to start kind of fritzing out like so many people in America are doing right now. Um, other things is you just feel um, happier. You feel that you enjoy your day more. You might feel more trusting. You might feel more optimistic about humanity uh, because we tend to generalize from our interactions. You know, you have an interaction with one person and you feel a little bit better about humanity as a whole. You don't have to worry about that person. You might feel a little reassured by it. Um, all these things happen uh, and they're really important. And from a broader perspective, like a social perspective, there's also a great deal of research now on what happens when people have difficult conversations and conversations of, across boundaries. And these could be gender boundaries or racial boundaries or ideological boundaries. Um, when you have meaningful contact across those boundaries, it can reduce prejudice. Um, and that's really important. It can, it can cause someone to humanize someone on the other side, um, which is, you know, a critical problem. And a lot of, a lot of places right now where, you know, people are so at odds that they don't even recognize the humanity of the people that they disagree with. When you do have conversations across those differences, it forces you to reckon with the full humanity of the person you're talking to. And that researchers are finding can dial down, um, you know, radical partisanship and prejudice and things of that nature. Right. So how do we do it then, Joe? You do give examples of tips and tricks to spark up conversation. Can you run through a couple of those? Yeah, I, I, I did a lot of work on this because, like I said, I felt pretty rusty about this because I, I kind of stopped doing it. And so 
over the course of the research, I wanted to start from scratch, right? I wanted to treat this like a person who hadn't exercised in years is going to train for a marathon. And how do you do that? You don't just go run 26 miles. You have to like get off the couch first. You have to like start walking. Um, I wanted to build myself up as a social animal. And in doing that, I could give other people like a roadmap that they could follow to do it. So, you know, one really easy, easy way to start is just to take your headphones off, take your earbuds out, don't look at the phone, just walk down the street and notice other people. You know, this sounds like such a, it's such a weird thing because we should be doing this all the time as social creatures, but we kind of don't, we, we don't really pay attention to other people, especially in cities when we're walking around. So notice people first, then maybe try to make eye contact with somebody. If they make eye contact back, maybe wish them a good morning or, or just smile or something like that, just to get used to the idea of interacting with people. And this was, this was uncomfortable for me to do because I live in New York and like, I always assume that if you made eye contact unwarranted with other people, like they would assume you're a serial killer or something, but it turns out they were actually super receptive to it. Um, and then from there, you can just start talking to people. You know, some of those interactions might turn into a little chat. Um, or if that doesn't happen, you can sort of practice on people in kind of a service environment, like, you know, the waiter or a waitress at a restaurant or someone at a cash register in a shop. Um, people feel safe trying that because it's like a safe and structured environment. You're not just walking up to someone cold in the street and asking them a personal question about themselves. Um, it's a good place to practice. Um, and when you do that, there's some really brilliant advice that I got from a woman named Georgie Nightingale in London, who I took a class from doing this. She's like a communications guru in London. Um, who runs an organization called Trigger Conversations. And Georgie's, um, one of her more useful insights was this idea of scripts, right? So when we interact with people in public, say you're buying something at a shop and the person says, how you doing? And you say, I'm doing fine, how are you? And they say, fine, and that's it, right? Like you've kind of communicated, but you haven't really communicated. Georgie's idea is to break those scripts. And the way you do that is through specificity. So if someone at a shop says, how are you doing today? You don't just say, how you doing? You know, I'm doing fine. How are you? You say, you can, you be specific. So if, for example, you give a numerical answer, you say, well, it's about a seven out of 10 today. How are you? How are you doing today? And now you've kind of modeled the way this conversation is going to work. And you've demonstrated that this is not going to be a normal scripted conversation. And what they'll do, just because this is how humans communicate, they'll likely give you a numerical answer back. And they'll say, well, I'd say about a, you know, eight out of 10. And then you can say, what would take you to get to a nine? And then maybe they tell you they're going to visit with their grandmother that night and she hasn't been feeling well or something like that. You'll get a little taste of who they are and what their life is like. And then maybe you can start a conversation off of that. Uh, but a lot of it is just a, it's specificity and, and sort of paying attention to what they say. Why do we fear strangers, do you think? Worry that they'll become stalkers, that we'll encounter a mass murderer. Our imaginations often go to the worst place when the reality is you're just exchanging passing pleasantries. The worst that can happen in reality is that they don't want to respond. And that's OK, too. Yeah. You know, like I, I grew up in America in the 80s. And so we were subjected to relentless stranger danger propaganda when like a cop would come into your class and tell you to be wary of literally every person you've never met in the world, which is, you know, in retrospect, is a crazy thing to say to a kid um, that everyone in the world who you don't know is out to get you. Um, so I think there's still a, a fair amount of like residual stranger danger stuff from like, especially from my generation that you, we've sort of been trained to be afraid of strangers, even though, you know, at least in the US, the vast majority of major crimes are actually committed by people known to the victim, not by strangers. Strangers commit a relatively small percentage of crimes against people in terms of major crimes, murder, sexual assault, things like that. Um, and so we have that, we're working with that. We're working, you know, we're, we're operating in a world where there's a lot of suspicion anyways, partisanship 
political partisanship, you know, um, tension between different groups, all that stuff. I think that amps it up a little bit. I think coming out of the coronavirus uh, crisis amps it up a little bit because we haven't, we've been out of practice. We might feel that we're incompetent now because we've kind of been in the hole for so long. Um, so there's a whole cocktail of stuff that's, that's making us anxious about this. Um, but what you need to, to gain in order to overcome that sort of anxiety and that fear that these people are going to hurt us, that people are inherently terrible, um, is good data. And, and this was my experience going through this. Um, I'm not like a Pollyanna type of person. I'm a, I'm a lifetime journalist. I was raised by funeral directors. Like I'm under no illusion as to what the world is really like, right? I don't live in a bubble. Um, and so I'm prone to cynicism myself. But when I, when I just started having lots and lots and lots of interactions with strangers, both in New York, but in, around America and around the world, really, um, I, I gathered data on what people are like, right? And the vast majority of the interactions I had went really well and they were reassuring and they were a relief and they were pleasurable and they gave me like an opportunity to kind of get a glimpse of the life of another person. And I liked it. I really liked it and I found it tremendously reassuring and it actually made me weirdly optimistic, um, which I recognize makes me like a complete freak at this moment in history. <laughs> Um, that I actually feel like I feel like people can actually pull pull this off. We can pull together. We can actually solve some of our problems because I had gathered data by having in-person interactions with people instead of just basing my perception of humanity on like Twitter or the news or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, you're cre- preaching to the converted here. I'm always talking to strangers to the point of oversharing at times in a bank queue or the back of a taxi. But I think what you do find when you talk to strangers is you discover that the majority of people are lovely and you meet some great characters. And it's not that you're looking for it to develop into anything, but there is a little bit of magic in it. Well, the book is called The Power of Strangers, The Benefits of Connecting in a Suspicious World. Author Joe Cohane, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Claire. It was a pleasure. Coming up next, a panel of people who changed career later in life to work in health and wellness. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Now, I've wanted to do this panel for a while and I was kind of waiting until I could have them all in studio. But look, we are still very much on the Corona coaster, aren't we? And because of that, many people have reassessed the way they work, how they live their lives, and some may even have lost their jobs or their earnings. So I now think it is the perfect time, perhaps, for you to meet these three people who changed their career paths and not necessarily in their 20s to follow a passion for health and wellness and turn it into their job. So I have two in studio with me and one remote on the line. I have Orna French of French Fitness, a pre and postnatal expert and fitness instructor, Winnie Gallagher, nutritionist and triathlete, and Oren Heron, a neuromuscular therapist, fitness coach, and he's also knocked out a few marathons in his time too. In fact, you're all super fit. I'd like to put the three of you in a race and see who would win. But for now, I'll start with asking how you all are. Great. Thank Thanks, Mark. Yeah, here. thank you. And Orna, I'll start with you then. Tell us a little bit about what life was before you made the career change, what you were up to. Um, I worked in media as well for about 20 years and I, I absolutely loved it until I didn't love it anymore. And then I realised with different things that happened throughout the life that life is too short if you're that miserable. And if you're that miserable in work, it was kind of like, your whole life is miserable. You've taken out your kids, your family. And I just thought, no, I can't do this. And then I was lucky enough to be afforded the opportunity to leave and to take a voluntary redundancy package, which I took. And then I could then take, OK, I have a little bit of breathing space now so I can see what I want to do. 
And when I knew I was getting the package, I thought, okay, right, what do I really want to do? And it was fitness, because I've always been involved in fitness. So I looked into the different courses and things like that. So, and that's the path I took. And I just thought, right, I really want to do this. I've always wanted to do it. Even when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to go into fitness. And my life took a different, I went off and I did science instead of fitness in college. Don't ask me why I did. But... So I kind of went back to my roots then and went, yeah, this is what I want to do. And what was it like then to be back in front of the books again and be studying? It was hard when I started first because I hadn't studied in so long. Like I had, I'd left college and then I'd gone back to college while I was working to do marketing and um, advertising and PR at night. So to be back, like, and I had worked during the day and studied at night. So to be back actually full-time studying, I felt like, and a lot of the students in the class were also quite a bit younger <laughs> because I was changing my career and they were starting theirs. So it, there was a bit of an age gap, but that didn't deter me at all. It was it was strange, but I loved it because I was I was learning things that I'd never learned before. All about like the different bones in the body and the names of them and the muscles and how they worked and um, all the different energy systems. And it was fascinating. I loved it. So I keep, I like, I love going through different things now and doing different research and, you know, what different exercises you can use to, you know, to promote muscle growth in this area and that area. And you can just, like, it's never ending now, I think, once you start to like, oh, well, I can do that. So that's why when I started and I did exercise, personal training and health, I decided to do pre and postnatal because not an awful lot of people do it. And as a mother of three, I thought, well, you know, I want to know when somebody asks me, you know, how do I do this exercise or what way can I do it? You know, so because I'm pregnant or I'm after pregnancy and I want to mind myself so that I'd be able to know and go, yeah, even though I'm mother of three, I still know, you know, how you can do it properly. And it was just, it was brilliant. I loved it. Great. So you now know how we can get on trampolines without actually wetting ourselves. Great. (laughs) We'll get back to your day-to-day work in a moment. But Winnie, you had quite a similar job actually to Orna. I worked at media um, across radio, newsprint, online. And, but on my, the birth of my second child is now 13, I retired completely. So I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years, effectively. Three boys, nice and busy. Three boys, very busy. And you know what? When they were younger, I wouldn't really have been able to do anything, you know, because, you know, yourself, I was just mad and they're boys and they're lunatics. But um, I kind of always had in the back of my head that I wanted to do something. And it was about the time that I suppose I started getting fit as well. After my third child, I was still carrying a lot of baby weight, three and a half stone more than I am now. And um, I started running with urban running. And... um, I just, you know, I was trying to really diet and I didn't know what I was doing. I really, you know, was a very average cook. I didn't know about nutrients. I was supplementing. I don't know why I was supplementing. I just thought that, you know, I'll supplement. That's going to help. Um, and I'd lost weight very fast, but probably not eating the right foods. Um, and a friend of mine had done a course in exercise nutrition and she was working as a nutritionist. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll go back to college. Like, like Orne again, it's been 20 years since I'd done my undergraduate um, so it was very daunting going back to college. I I did make a great friend. She was the same age as me, actually, but everybody else was younger. And it was very medical as well. Like I was handed, you know, medical journals and I was like, oh, I'll never be able for this. I'll never be able. It's just too academic. Um, but I absolutely loved it. At the same time, I did the Happy Pair course as well, um, which was a five week course, which was aimed at reducing body fat and cholesterol. Now, I'd already lost my weight at this stage, but I was doing it just to learn. I didn't know anything about veganism or plant based food. And 
the guys actually gave a talk every week for five weeks with a followed up with a cookery demonstration. And my mind was absolutely blown with all of the information they were giving us about getting all your nutrients directly from your food and how you can reduce your risk of developing chronic diseases and tied in with my course, the nutrition and health. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, how we cook our food, the types of food that we eat, how, you know, has such an impact on our health and the environment as well. So, um, so since then, since the Happy Pear course nearly six years ago, I haven't eaten meat you know, I, you know, I'm whole food plant based, which means that I reduce the amount of processed foods that I eat. I like to cook everything from scratch. Coming from a very average cook who was delighted when I had my jar of Dalmio putting it into my mince sauce, I thought I was a great achieving fantastic things, you know, so I cook everything from scratch. And um, but yeah, it's um, it's been fantastic. I love it. I absolutely love it. So I launched my business now three years ago. Um, you know, working with people to try and lose their weight. Um, I worked with, you know, GAA female clubs um, on the sports performance element, which again, which I could relay to my myself. You know, as I started all this, I became, you know, started into my endurance, um, you know, running and then started the triathlon. So it was great to be able to use myself as a guinea pig with doing the course. Um, I've worked with the rugby clubs and stuff like that. Um, and then I just work with individuals. And now, obviously, I brought brought out my own food as well, which I um, brought you in some lovely stuff to sample. <laughs> you sure did. Went straight in the fridge. You better be still in there oh, when yeah. we get out of here. Yeah. Um, but like Orna said, what you started out doing was feeling around and it's developed and yeah. evolved. And Orna, I think you can say, stay, say the same about your pathway. Yeah. Tell us a bit about before you got full time into health and fitness, what you were working at and, and what brought about the change. Yeah, well, I was, uh, I wasn't in media, I was in uh, architecture. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was mainly a project architect. Um, and I was doing 15 years and then the financial crash came and uh, my career took a fairly steep nosedive. Um, so luckily enough, at that time, my wife's career started going upwards. So it made... I suppose financial and logistic sense for me to be a stay-at-home dad. Um, but in order to keep myself sane, I started getting into fitness. I was always into fitness. I always played football and what have you. Uh, lots of five-a-sides when I was working as an architect. Um, but then started getting more into running. Couldn't afford to go to the gym, so uh, just a pair of runners was all I needed. Um, so, yeah, that was keeping me sane and it was kind of good for, I suppose, my self-esteem. You know, you pretty much lose your job and you're you're looking for some sort of kudos, I guess. So, um, yeah, that that really helped just get my, like, healthy body, healthy mind. Um, I kind of followed that mantra most of my life, really. So, um, after, I don't know, maybe almost a year, then my wife gave me a present of... Uh, personal training sessions and um, the personal trainer, Anthony Doyle, like in block fitness, um, he suggested I go and become a trainer. Um, so I just waited till the kids were all in school and um, then took up the course with uh, Limerick University. Um, but that was done through motion fitness in, in Dublin. And uh, apps, just like Lorna, you know, just everything clicked, all the information that I was you know, just getting into and, and wanting was all there and I just couldn't get enough of it. That was the typical 
uh, curious students kept asking all the questions. You could see the young fellas, uh, their eyes rolling around their heads, going, oh, be ever shut up asking questions. Um, but I just couldn't get enough of it. And um, yeah, so it just led on from that then, um, started my own business, um, which I know you are, and the girls <laughs> took part in, uh, urban running. Um, and uh, yeah, from that then, I just, I guess you just keep needing to learn then. You get into that groove of learning, which it wasn't easy initially. Um, so I did a nutrition course and I've just finished a neuromuscular therapy course. Um, all just complementing what you already know and what you want to know. Um, just making you a better trainer, being able to offer more. Um, yeah, so I haven't looked back. I was at my old uh the old place I used to work they offered me a job back I suppose a year after I'd completed my fitness course and I was like no no chance this is <laughs> this is where I'm at now I'm Thanks gonna build much. bodies not perfect homes <laughs> I love it <laughs> well you're listening to it I've been kicking on news talk with Claire McKenna and I'm talking to a panel of people who completely changed career paths to work in health and wellness so Orna, back to you at French Fitness. Did you always start out with an idea of it being a business and being your form of income? Well, I suppose that is, I suppose, one of the challenges when you are, and if anybody out there is thinking of changing career, that is one of your challenges when you're starting out. You think, oh God, I'm going to go from this guaranteed wage every single month and I know how much is coming in and it's my little security blanket and all of a sudden I've just said goodbye to that and now I'm going to go out on my own. So it is very scary but yes I I didn't want to be um, anybody else's employee anymore. I wanted to be my own boss for me for my time. So you have to take I suppose the good and the bad and the pros and the cons. You, You leave behind the security blanket and all that But you take on the fact that you have more time with your family, you have more time with your kids, your time is your own, which means like as Oren said, you can keep doing your research and you can keep learning more because once you start doing something that you love, it just, it's not work anymore. My dad always said, always find, he said, always love the job you're doing because if you love it, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's so true. I absolutely love it. And I'm sure Winnie and Orna are the same, that it's just, you just, you're so enthusiastic, like you're jumping out of the bed to go in. And I just, it was one of those things, okay, this is my business. So you're the, you're the one in control. There's nobody telling you what to do or how to do it. You can go, right, I can do it this way. And if I want to go down that path, I can do it. And I'm the one. So you're being your own boss, pros and cons, but it's brilliant. So you're running fitness classes at the minute. So what is it like then going away from the books and actually being in a room with people? Oh, the first class was, oh my God. I was like, (laughs) I couldn't sleep the night before. I thought I'm going to sound like such a spanner. They're all going to look at me and go, geez, she hasn't a clue, (laughs) right? But I went in, I start, so I'm in um, Baldoyle Boxing Club and I do boxer size classes down there. And there's a great bunch of people who come down, like it's brilliant crack and there's such a sense of community, which we've built up over time. But like that, the first class, I was going, oh my God, palpitations, what am I doing? And I was like up the night before and I had the class plan done and what to do. And I literally would sit down and have everything done and know exactly my timings, all the rest of it. And now you get to the stage where you're going, oh yeah, it's grand. And if, you know, if you have a class plan done for so many people and extra people turn up or there isn't enough, you 
you're confident enough in yourself that you can do it. But I love the buzz. I love the crack that you have. I love seeing the results and seeing people, you know, turn around to you and say, well, I wasn't able to do a sit-up. Now I can do a sit-up. Or, you know, I've lost three kilos. And they're delighted with themselves. And I think... A lot of people in this day and age, they strive to be like, okay, I want to go from hero to zero and I want to get there as fast as possible. But what they forget to do is to celebrate each little achievement along the way. So you couldn't do a sit up. Now you can. You couldn't do a squat properly. Now you can. So all those types of things, I think people should learn to go. Yeah, I wasn't able to do that, but now I can. And I love that. And every day I go in and there's those tiny little achievements for people and they're delighted with themselves and you celebrate them. And it's just, I, I just can't tell you how happy I am. Yeah, it's lovely to hear people beaming as they talk about their work. Uh, you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna. I'll take a quick break and when we come back, I'll continue discussing with the panel changing career into health and wellness. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And in front of me, I have Orna French, a French fitness, a pre and postnatal expert and fitness instructor, Winnie Gallagher, a nutritionist and triathlete, and also now a producer of her own food range, and Oren Heron, neuromuscular therapist, fitness coach. And he is remotely on the phone, uh, so we can't check out his abs of steel. Um, <laughs> Winnie, what about you yeah, then and turning somewhere. it into a business? Mm. When did that come about from being something that was interesting to you and, you know, giving you more time now your kids are a bit independent to actually maybe I can make a living out of this? Yeah, it was it was amazing. It's really just evolved, you know, organically. It's it's amazing. I was really put on the spot. A friend of mine is Linda Keating and she was having a, a lunch, her Christmas lunch. And she said, OK, Winnie, this is it. You have to launch your business. and I'm going to give you the platform for it. And so I need your I need your banner. I need your branding. I, you're going to give a prize. Um for one of their raffles. So that really, I, I was forced then, you know, because I probably wouldn't have taken, you know, I probably would have faffed around for a little bit, you know. Um, So that actually forced me to go get my branding, to get, you know, my Winnie, um, register my company and, you know, meet with the branding agency and got all my, so I was able to hand her over a lovely voucher for somebody to win, you know, consultation and um, with me and I, got them a lovely vegan basket and stuff like that so it's really evolved from there like I you know I was you know from that then I met with clients and um, I was helping them to reach their goals and weight loss Um, and then I was working with the GEA clubs and the rugby clubs as well which was great and then you know I was always making my own treats after the happy pair course and you know I'm very active on social media as you know <laughs> with Instagram <laughs> to get that one in um <laughs> So I, you know, friends started asking me then, oh, can we, you know, can I, are you buying these? Are you selling them? Can I buy them? And what were you doing it? And so then I was getting a lot of interest in, you know, the, the food that I was um, making. And a friend of mine, Ken, who owns Prego up in Hoth, said, oh, listen, you know, with COVID, you can use our, our kitchen. That, that way you're going to be HSE approved and everything like that. It's all above board. So I was using his kitchen. And then, um, and I was selling my treat boxes out of that. And, you know, I couldn't believe, like, from somebody who was a very average cook, you know, that people are actually looking to buy, you know, my food. You know, I use good ingredients. You know, a lot of them are raw. They're vegan, plant-based. Um, you know, I 
I, I really enjoy it and I couldn't believe that the re- reaction I was getting. So I've gone in now with Ken and Prego. So you're able to buy all my healthy treats in there and the real nutrient dense. And that's what I'm really about is, you know, reducing the amount of processed food that we have and getting fiber into our diet, which Irish people tend to neglect the importance of fiber in their diet. And they're really high fiber and the really healthy fats. And uh, so it's just it's somewhere that I never imagined myself being. You know, my mother always scoffs at me saying she didn't even do home economics. <laughs> Got to love an Irish mammy. <laughs> oh, such an Irish mammy, you know, and from somebody who used to buy jars and putting it into their food. You know, I cannot believe how I have developed, you know, as a plant based chef like, the you know, the guys in in Prague come in oh how chef you know I'm like who where <laughs> you know so and you can see people you know have come who have cycled who are out walking yes. who are now eating your salads drinking your juices yeah it's phenomenal I make my own high fibre juices and then my triathlon club as well um, Kyofit the guys I do an energy bar so when they're going on their long training cycles then they buy the box of bars off me because you know there's no refined sugar in them they're slow release energy bars and um they're, they're delighted with them, you know, so it's they can get off the bike and they're fresh and, you know, they're not getting those sugar crashes. They're not eating processed food. So, you know, they're getting all that whole food nourishment into them and it's going to help with the recovery as well. So it's great. And I love it. It's just it's nowhere where I saw it going, to be honest with you, you know, so it's constantly evolving. It's brilliant. And Oren, what about you then um, building your client base? And I, I know you work with a huge range of people, not only in, yeah. the, in the running group, but one to one. Yeah. Um. Well, initially it started with the running group and yeah, there was probably five or six people in the group initially and then that pushed on to 15, 16, then you're having to run twice a day and you know the, the numbers were up, way up there. And then it developed from that then you get PT clients then off that or just word them out. Um, so that side of things took off, and then I, I know you've had Jonathan Manson on uh, with, with his spinal injury journey of recovery. Um, and I've been, I suppose, privileged enough to work with him on his recovery, and that has led me down all different other avenues of of learning and privilege, really, to see someone um, of his hard work and determination um, to just help him get to his goals and it's the same with those in the running group as well or your pts you see them coming from just being able to do a 5k and they're delighted with that and so they should be and that same person then a year or two later is doing a marathon um in you know whatever time it doesn't matter but they're doing a marathon you watching them on their journey is, is it really is a privilege and then bit like Orna, she has their community down Val Doyle um, the running group has their own little community as well. We some, sometimes go for our swims after runs and then it's a picnic and it's just all evolved into a, a community and of people who are into fitness, which you have in some way helped is, is just really she can't ask for anything better it's great it's, it's great to be part of that you know and are you a bit um, of a therapist of sorts I hear people divulge all kinds of secrets when they're shoulder to shoulder <laughs> yeah well I think I think anyone who's in fitness realises that their main job is to be a counsellor oh god yeah <laughs> yeah um, well look that's that's another like an honour or a privilege or a real upside to being a personal trainer you become friends with these people you know uh, and you be 
become really invested in their, I don't know if that's corny, but their journey or their, just their lives really. Um, and you just want them to, to get the best out of themselves. And that's your job really at the end of the day. Yeah, well, look, sounds like a fantastic best. job. Um, and it, that's what's so important because health should be mind, body mm. and spirit. And, so yeah. you're encompassing all of that. And particularly when the joy comes from you guys in doing what you do, then that feeds down into the people around you. Well, look, it's been very impressive hearing from all of you. Um, is there any advice you would give, Orna, to people who are starting out or who are listening to this now, who are reassessing, as I said in the introduction, where they're at in life or maybe their job has been changed for them due to the pandemic? I think that if you have got to that stage where your job has changed or you've lost your job and you're looking at, you know, changing, I think that if you've got a strong passion, whether it be health and wellness or some area of your life that you love, there is no harm in actually looking into it and going, okay, Do the research and go, what's involved with me getting to the stage I want to be at? Do I want to become a personal trainer? Do I want to do nutrition? Do I want to become a running coach or neuromuscular? Whatever you want to do with your life, do the research into it. Because an awful lot of people will be put off and they think, oh God, I won't be able to do it or it's too expensive or I don't have the time. You know, do your research so that you can go, right, okay, so maybe I can do it or I could do it part time and I could work part time. So, you know, don't ever think you can't do something. The only person holding you back is yourself. And at the end of the day, the three of us are all talking about changing, having changed our careers. And we're all sitting here loving what we do. Mm-hmm. And as Orrin said, that sense of community and so and. Winnie has it with the Kyofit and they're all coming around. And it's that sense of trust in people, that they trust you to help them along their journey. So, you know, so look at that and don't be put off because there's always milestones in everybody's life. And you just, you go around them or you climb over them. Love it. Or you jump in your yeah, you case, Orna. <laughs> and we squat it out. Yes, Social media is a good piece of advice for people as yeah. well because somebody might have something that they think can only be a hobby, but that's not necessarily true, whether it's art and they can get into card mm. making or whatever. If starting on Instagram can be a really good way to connect with people and build a community. Definitely. And, you know, I, when I, as soon as I put something up on social media, like the people come up on my Instagram and come up, have you got that in? Have you got those new white wagon wheels? Or I want to try that. And it's a great way people reach out to me as well, you know, because I'm very, I'm very active on social media and I put up about my journey where I started. And, you know, I don't, you know, you know, I'm 46 now and I was only, I was 41 when I got into all of this. And, you know, it's, um, I would, you know, going back to what Orna said, you know, age is not a limiting factor as well. You know, like I'm, I just I absolutely love what I do and I just didn't see it evolving like this and you know the amount of people who do co- contact me on social media and you know telling me their story and God you learned to swim really late in life how did you find it and you know um, I'd love to do something like that but I just don't think I can so it is a great way for people to connect with me as well which I which I love you know and I love the buzz of being up in Prago as well being in there people coming in to see me you know who have cycled out from such and such or you know they're on their cycle I have my girls that come out on a Wednesday Winnie Wednesdays you know they come out and they have their their treat and their coffee you know so it's brilliant as a fantastic community it's amazing online and you know actually in the shop so it's brilliant yeah, and how it builds yeah and Orin you were in that position um your career path was changed for you mm-hmm. so yeah 
you know, you, you, you must have at times gone, where is this all going to go? And it all worked out. Yeah, um, I, definitely uh, it was a, it was more uh, an osmosis thing that happens <laughs> that I, I just gradually changed from that career or for, well, from no career really uh, into what I have now. And like Orna said, it's just about finding something that you like and just go for it. And you like you won't work a day in your life if you're into it. And um, yeah, thankfully I have. And uh, for anyone out there, if you're looking to do a course or follow your your passion, do the research because there is a quite a high drop off rate or drop out rate, and it's mainly down to people not realizing what they've committed to, and. Um, it's a big shame that if you've already making that made that big step to go and and do a course and then to realize that you, you couldn't commit to it so it's important to have your family members behind you as well that they can pick up the slack and there's obviously a financial uh, implication as well the courses cost money or you if you're dropping the career you have at the moment you're you're going to take a, a pay cut you know but it is worth it in the end if you find something that you're you're into. That'd be that'd be my advice anyway. Well, I am inspired by all three of you. If you want to check out their work a little bit more, you'll find Winnie at Winnie.ie W-I-N-I, and she's also at Winnie.ie on Instagram. French fitness is with a double F. It's it very, very fancy, posh. super fit, two yeah. Fs. Uh, French fitness on Facebook and Instagram, and you will find Oren at Urban Running on Instagram. Thank you very much, guys. And continued success to you all. Thank you. Thanks a million. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. When you choose Chadwick's, you get the best branch network and the best advice. Now get the best value in our spring sale. DeWalt 18-volt combi drill. Now €279.99. Save an incredible €200. Karcher K4 compact pressure washer. Now €209.99. Save €90. Myra Elite dual electric shower. Now €349. Save €35. Check out chadwicks.ie or visit a branch near you. Chadwick's. Let's get it done!